Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to episode number five of How to Handle Conflict. I'm communication and leadership skills expert, Pamela Jett, and I'm thrilled that you've been listening to this podcast on how to handle conflict. In episode number one, we talked about how conflict is inevitable. It's natural, it's normal, and it is also something that is necessary for growth and for development and to get the best solutions to problems. But a lot of us have the myth that conflict Conflict is very negative. And we've learned that anytime we have opposing viewpoints, ideas, we are in conflict. That conflict is inevitable, natural, normal. It shows up all the time. And it's how we manage that conflict that can make all of the difference. And in episode number two, we made sure that we discovered the roots of conflict, things like personality clashes or differing values and also communication. And we unlocked some great superpowers like curiosity to help us make better choices during conflict. We also discovered why conflict escalates and some ways that we can disrupt that escalation cycle. And then in our next episode, we learned how we can change the way we look at things so that we're, we're in that cycle of escalation, we can break out of it. And we learned some frame-changing questions. In episode number four, we discovered the five basic conflict management styles and how we are sometimes making poor choices and what drives those choices and that we're looking to be cooperative and collaborative. And we discovered some tools to help us with that. But none of these things will be useful for us, and we won't be able to really be excellent at conflict management if we are not adept at emotional control. You see, when we engage in emotional outbursts with others, we put them in this position where they must deal with our emotional outburst versus the issue at hand. I'm going to share that with you again because it's really important. When we engage in emotional outbursts, we put others in the difficult position of having to deal with our emotional outburst instead of the issue at hand. So in the case of conflict, and remember conflict is any time that there is competing values or ideas or positions and you have to choose between them, If you become aggressive and scream and yell, you put people in the position of having to deal with your screaming and yelling as opposed to the core issue that started the conflict in the first place. And sometimes it is very difficult to stay calm, cool, and collected during conflict, especially if other people are starting to ramp up. So I'd like to share with you some evidence-based neuroscientific tools that you can use so that you are less likely to have emotional outbursts yourself and you're far more likely to stay calm, cool, and collected. Now, some of these are going to uh, cause some of you to be thinking, what is she talking about? That's weird. I, I get it. It may sound weird, but they're all based in neuroscience. 
So let's imagine you are at work and you're in a meeting and you're discussing a solution to a problem. And the situation is starting to escalate. And remember, the escalation happens when one person behaves in a way that someone else perceives as a threat. So then they behave in a defensive fashion, which often feels threatening to the person who started it. And the cycle continues in an upward escalation. So let's imagine you're in a meeting and you're discussing solutions to a problem and people are starting to entrench into their own positions and tempers are starting to rise and you are also starting to participate in that and you do not want to be the kind of person who escalates conflict because you know that out-of-control emotions can make even smart people stupid. I'm going to share that with you again because it's so powerful. Out-of-control emotions can make even smart people stupid. So no matter how knowledgeable you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much emotional intelligence you possess or intellect that you possess, no matter how fabulous you have researched your solution to the problem, if your emotions start running the show, uh, you're probably not going to be making great choices. Out of control emotions can make even smart people stupid. So here's an important thing to know, by the way, there are some people that you might be in conflict with who know that out of control emotions can make even smart people stupid. And part of their strategy is to try to push your buttons, to try and get you to be in reactionary mode as opposed to responsive mode. So I want to deny people the satisfaction of seeing me sweat. I want to deny the satisfaction of people, the satisfaction of seeing me get all worked up about something. I want to stay calm, cool, and collected. And one of the very first things that I want to remember to do during conflict is, and it's going to sound really dumb because, or I should say no duh, kind of like, oh, really? However, it's vitally important. And that is, I want to remember to breathe. In with the good air, out with the bad, breathe. This does several things. First of all, it creates some space. One of my favorite notions is that in the space between stimulus and response lies choice. I'll repeat that. In the space between stimulus and response lies choice. So in the space between what someone says and what you say back lies choice. In the space between stimulus and response lies choice. And sometimes it is helpful for us to broaden that space, give ourselves a bit more space. And breathing often slows the pace of the conversation. It gives us a bit of space so that we can make a better choice. In the space between stimulus and response lies choice. So when I breathe, I'm creating some space. I'm creating some space in the time of the interaction. I slow down the pace of the interaction and I give myself a bit more time to make a better choice, to think before I speak. I also know that when I breathe, I'm doing something really important. 
I'm getting oxygen to my brain, which may sound really foolish. However, I would like you to imagine that somebody now in this meeting where you're discussing some potential solution to a problem, somebody looks right at you and starts to use some real intense language. Maybe they're even yelling at you right in your face. If you are like 99.9% of people, when this happens, the first thing you're going to do is you are going to gasp because it's a little shocking that that happens. They come right at you. They've surprised you. So you, you gasp. And when you gasp, you also stop breathing for a moment. You're holding your breath when you gasp for a moment. And then when you resume breathing, you are most likely going to be panting or engaging in very shallow breathing. And when you pant or engage in very shallow breathing, your brain only gets about 20% of the oxygen to it that it needs to think and function clearly. So is it any wonder that out of control emotions can make even smart people stupid? Our brains are oxygen deprived. We need to breathe. So that's one of my first strategies for staying calm, cool, and collected is to breathe. Another strategy is to engage in what I call a somatic activity. A somatic activity is just anything that you do, anything physical that you do. So one of my favorite somatic activities when I am in conflict or when things start to escalate is I like to tap, and I know this sounds really odd, but I tend to tap my right middle finger on my kneecap. Now, that's my somatic activity. It just draws my attention to something else other than the escalation. I do it very quickly. It's aligned for me with reminding myself to use my good skills, use my good skills. And it is this physical thing that I can do to create a bit more space. It also breaks the cycle in my brain because I got to do something else. And that is aligned with reminding myself to make a good choice. So I will tap my right kneecap with my middle finger on my right, my, my right hand. And the reason I do that somatic activity is because it's something that if I'm in a meeting, nobody sees me do it because it's my knee would be under the table. It can be done very discreetly. Nobody sees me do it. So nobody's going to think I have a nervous tick and I don't do it really fast or repeat. It's not boom, 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 boom. It's just tap. Yeah, yeah, just kind of do it a couple times because that just brings me back to the moment. And okay, I can make better choices. That's one of my favorite somatic activities to help me not escalate, to calm myself down. Another one of my favorite somatic activities is to take notes. Even if the notes are nonsense, I'm writing stuff down, writing words down, writing down what they're saying, write down what I'm thinking. I will take notes because this sends a message to the other people involved that I'm taking it seriously, that I'm engaged with them. I don't take notes where I'm not ever looking at them. I'm just listening. And I'm just, clearly I'm taking notes about the conversation, but what I'm really doing is I'm breaking the cycle. I'm doing something physical that allows me to break my own cycle of escalation so that I can then use good conflict management tools, such as this is important. I want to talk about it, not this way. 
I'll give that to you again. It's one of my favorite things to say. This is important. I want to talk about it, not this way. So if somebody's screaming and yelling at me, I want to change the cycle and say, this is important. I want to talk about it, not this way. Or I might even say, you know, I see a lot of what you're saying and I agree with a lot of it and it's important. I want to be able to discuss it further, not this way. So you're right. You're right about a lot of things here and I'd like to be able to discuss it, not this way. Simple, simple strategy that can shift the tone of escalation, but I'm not going to use that if I'm not doing something to stop myself from escalating. Another thing that I do, and it's again, something I do in my head is I want to shift my focus because when I am in, especially if I'm in fight or flight mode, the amygdala is in charge. I'm in my primitive brain. That's my emotional processing center. And I'm afraid because remember conflict is almost always when it's handled inappropriately, when it's handled in from the fight or flight space, it's fear-based. So I'm there in my emotional processing center and my amygdala is running the show and I'm having a hard time thinking clearly is when we look at fMRIs, which are those functional brain imaging things. And we see what part of our brain is lit up and what part of our brain has activity. When the amygdala is all lit up, the prefrontal cortex is often really quiet. Prefrontal cortex is where logic and reasoning are housed. So I want to do everything I can to light up my prefrontal cortex to stop the amygdala from firing up and to start the prefrontal cortex firing. So I might do math in my head. Or if I'm taking notes, I might do math. For me, it's got to be multiple digit addition. I don't just count to 10 or do single digit addition. I have to do the kind of math that actually requires me to think. So I like to do math in my head because it gets me out of my prefront or out of my amygdala, out of my primitive brain. When we say people are out of control emotionally or their emotions are running the show, I get out of my primitive brain and into my prefrontal cortex, which makes it easier for me to access my good conflict management tools. And we've already learned several good conflict management tools during this podcast. We've talked about how you can look for common ground. Hey, when I hear you saying uh, this, I believe that we also have this in common. Or to ask probing questions, to unlock curiosity, that superpower. Hey, tell me more about this. And then when they tell you more, you can say, so we both agree on A, B, and C. We have some areas where we disagree. Let's talk about how we can broaden those areas of agreement or what, what's really driving this discussion. So you can use curiosity and unleash that superpower, but you're probably not going to do that if you're emotionally out of control. We've also learned to be able to say, I see it differently instead of I disagree, which puts people in that escalation cycle. We've also discovered how important it is to be able to say, this is important, I want to talk about it, not this way, but we're not going to use that if we're emotionally out of control. Because out of control emotions can make even smart people stupid. Choose whatever makes sense to you, whatever tool would make sense to you, and practice it. Practice it in your home life when you you think you're going to say something you regret. Take a deep breath. Just give yourself a little bit of choice so you are less likely to say that thing that you will regret, that thing that might be hurtful or aggressive. Or maybe it's not that you're going to say something you regret. Maybe you're not going to say anything. You just need to take a breath and gather some courage and be assertive and use more of your assertive communication tools, which will lead to cooperation and collaboration or compromise and collaboration. 
We've been discussing during this five episode series about how to handle conflict. And we've learned that conflict is natural, it's normal. And it's not only natural and normal, it's necessary. It's necessary for growth and progress, both personally and professionally. Organizations need it and individuals need it. Conflict isn't bad, it's how we choose to manage it that can make all of the difference. And we've learned that there are some management styles that are productive and some that are counterproductive. We've discovered the roots of conflict and how we can prevent that escalation cycle from happening. And we've discovered some ways to interrupt that cycle. We've learned some great strategies to keep ourselves focused and in collaboration and cooperation instead of that passive approach or the avoidance approach or the aggressive approach. And of course, we've learned how to stay calm, cool, and collected. I'm communication and leadership skills expert, Pamela Jett. If you'd like to find out more about relentlessly positive conflict management skills or leadership or communication skills, feel free to visit my website, PamelaJet.com, P-A-M-E-L-A-J-E-T-T.com. And this has been episode number five of How to Handle Conflict. Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast, brought to you by Aurora Training Advantage. We hope you've gained new insight and strategies to navigate the HR profession. We look forward to you joining us again on the HR Empowerment Podcast.